Bookshelf Binge. I'm your host, Jessica, and today I'm joined by Jordan Gray. You might know her as the critique partner of Shelby Mahern. Like, she's on Shelby's page all the time, but I know her as mostly Georgia's friend. <laughs> like, that's how I found you, was being friends <laughs> with Georgia, who many of you know as Peachy Queen Cosplay, who has also been on the show. Um, but yeah, we are here today talking about being a critique partner and how there's this little niche part of writing that I don't think a lot of people really know about, but apparently it's really helpful for writers. So we're going to dive in. <laughs> so excited. I love Georgia, by the way. She is amazing. Everybody, I'm sure you all follow her, but if you don't, she's so cool. <laughs> she's far cooler than I am. She's like the nicest human being. <laughs> like she really is she was one of like my first interviews and I was like like we never really interacted and I was like hi can you like be friends with me and be on my show thank you <laughs> she's like sunshine like anytime you see her you're just like <gasps> yes absolutely so you are a critique partner can you kind of talk about a what that means and b how you started being a critique partner Sure. I, okay. So basically what I do as a critique partner is I read my friend's stuff and then I tell them what I love about it. I tell them what I love about it and then tell them the things that maybe we could do better as well. But really I'm like a giant fangirl. And I think I think that is the charm of having a critique partner. Critique partners are like somebody you trust, you work really closely with them. They might read your first drafts, as, like as soon as you write them. I read Shelby stuff, like she'll finish the sentence and then send it to me, mainly because I demand that she do so. But typically um, you could read the first draft, the second draft, anything, but it's really the person that you work really closely with and you trust them the most. And you might brainstorm, you might, edit together they might even like throw a sentence in your book sometimes and be like hey you're really not getting this one right let me help you out a little bit but I got started in critiquing I had a few friends back home who were writing who started writing the same time I did and they would send me their stuff to read and those first few stories were a little iffy I didn't really know what I was doing I would just be like this is not good but I can't tell you why or this is so good. I also can't tell you why, but I love it, but I have no idea why I love it. Um, and then I started, I joined the writing community on Twitter, actually, probably like seven years ago now. It was a really long time ago. And anytime anyone was like, I, I need someone to read for me, like, would anyone read my stuff? I would be like me immediately and be like, yes, I will help you. I would love to. Free books. Excellent. And that is, basically how I got started that's hysterical also like can I sign up for that like me please I would yeah. I will read everyone's just email it to me <laughs> I was like this isn't work I just want to read stuff great <laughs> I love that so much so you found a critique partner for your staff via Twitter yes. is like like that normal <laughs> um yeah I think I feel like there's been a shift in the community and a lot of people have come to Instagram, which is a nicer space. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but it's a little more comforting, a little more relaxing. 
Um, and so I really think that the easiest way for people to find critique partners is to just interact with people who like the same books as you or who also write. And it's really just about putting yourself out there and making friends, which I know is so hard to do. I'm an introvert. I get it. It sucks. But the way that I found a way around it was like, I'm offering to help. People can't hate me if I offer to help, right? Like, and if they do, then I'll just go back in my cave and I'll never talk to them again. It's fine. But I think really just, it's just, if you see somebody post a picture of a book that you love being like, oh my God, I love that book too. What did you think about these two people kissing? I mean, it always comes back to romance, but it's just putting yourself out there and it's like dating. Just say the first message them first and then they'll message you back and you go back and forth and you'll be like, oh my God, I happen to be writing a book just like that. And then they'll be like, oh my God, so am I. And then all of a sudden now you have a critique partner. So it's dating. This is dating and my single ass is like, fuck no. <laughs> yeah, it literally, it's so nerve wracking until you start doing it. And then you realize that everyone in the book community is about a thousand times nicer than anyone in the dating community. <laughs> Thank God. That's like, honestly, like we've, this podcast has been happening for 30 some episodes by the time this comes out. 30 episodes. That's amazing. Some number of episodes. That's a lot. <laughs> that was like a lot of counting. I'm like, we're not math people here. <laughs> we're not. But like the common theme of everyone who's come on is very much like the book community is very cutthroat in the fact that getting published is hard. But the people who are in the community are not like that. Like we are all very supportive of each other. We all try to lift each other up. Like if you need someone, like the book community is really, really inclusive that way. And I just, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great point. The industry is so different from the book community. Mm-hmm. The book community is wonderful. And anytime you're down, you will always have somebody to lift your spirits. You always have someone to talk to about books or reading or writing or even life. Most of my book community friends have become my real life friends, which is incredible and amazing. And the industry is a whole other topic and we won't touch it yet. (laughs) Why would we want to? Why would we want to be a downer right now? (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that all writers benefit from a critique partner and should have one? So I think that this is a really nuanced question because I do understand how hard it is to to maybe find one or put yourself out there and find the perfect match because it does take a lot of, takes a lot of dating before you find the one you're going to marry, right? It takes a lot of exchanging chapters to find the person where you're like, we click, we're like soulmates. So I think that every writer should attempt to find a critique partner and have eyes on their work because if you're querying, an agent is going to read your stuff. Editors are going to read your stuff. The whole goal is to get your book on a shelf so that people read your stuff. So it shouldn't be scary in the way of, I don't want anyone to read my book because that's why we're all here. But I will say that it is really difficult to find the one. And I know, I believe I've heard Chloe Gong speak of this before that she wrote These Violence Delights without anyone reading it first. And that wasn't typical for her, but it's possible. It's possible to write a book and still get an agent with it. It's just that your book will probably be better 
if you do have someone else's eyes on it before you send it off. And how does it compare to like, like a beta reader? Like a, how does like a critique partner compare? So I think that it really varies on who you ask, but to me, a critique partner is like, you have one or two and they're your most trusted people. You'll probably go to them to brainstorm. You'll probably cry to them on the phone at some point. A beta reader is more of the person where you send your book out and you want them to pretend like they're a reader. Your book is done. You're done with your critique partner. You've really made it as great as it can be. And now you kind of want that focus group reaction of like, all right, just read it. Don't go in trying to fix it or anything like that. Just read it and tell me your instincts. Like, what do you feel right off the bat? And you might send them to, you might send your book to a few beta readers. I know people have sent their book to like 10 or 15 beta readers, but your critique partner, you usually just have one or two of them. Okay. That makes a ton of sense though. Like, like a beta reader is very much like before anything else happens, like, would you call like an arc reader, a beta reader, or would you call them similar, but very different? Um, I would say an arc reader would probably be like an Omega reader, if that was something, because okay. beta reader, beta readers, you're still trying to get it perfect for agent or editor eyes. And before your book is published, when an arcs are out, sometimes authors can still change things but it's a little too late in the process to be like, we hate this one character, cut him out. It's like way too late for that. But a beta reader could still point out and be like, hey, this person who's murdered everyone is not likable. And you could be like, oh, you're right. I should <laughs> take out some of those murders. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, like maybe. <laughs> what would you say is the most important part of being a critique partner? I think making sure you stay within the person you're working with their vision and being someone they can trust. I think for me, it's very important. I work with so many different people that I, I'm not trying to make my book. I'm not trying to make their book, my vision. I'm trying to make their book the best their book can be like an emphasis on there. So I think that keeping that in mind when you're critiquing someone's things and when they critique your things is that your vision is not changing. It is just becoming a better version of your vision. Um, and then I forgot the second half of that question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that was like, was the question good? was like, what is the most important part? And okay. got there. <laughs> Pat on my back. I did it. <laughs> go home now this is a really great interview thank you so much <laughs> the 30 the 30 something episode is two minutes long <laughs> we're good we wrapped it up quick great work <laughs> how do you handle so within that vein of like making sure it's like their vision how do you handle like kind of disagreements or like let's say like you give advice and you're like this piece isn't working and they're like, mm, I think it is. So I'm going to keep it. Like, how do you like, A, accept something like that? Like as someone who also is like pouring part of your heart and soul into this project and like, how, like, how does that work? <laughs> um, so like with Shelby and I, we'll just not speak to each other for a few years. No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> We're um, done. We cut it off. <laughs> yeah. Like when I was like, 
I just want Ansel and Nicolina to kiss. And she said, absolutely not. Then I was like, well, then I'll never work with you again. And we're done. Um, no, in reality, if I point out an issue and I have a solution for it, and she's like, that solution doesn't work for me, we'll still hammer away at the issue. So if it's like, the pacing here is too slow, what if we throw in a circus clown? And she's like, Jordan, that makes absolutely zero sense. There are no clowns in this story then it would be like, okay, so what if we have, I don't know, something else instead, and then we'll keep working away until we both like it usually, or until really, because it's her opinion is the most important. So if she ever is like, no, I don't like anything you're saying, shut up, which she would never do. Um, I would just be like, okay, because it's her book at the end of the day, and it's not my book. And I'm just trying to get it to be something that she is going to really, really love. That's fair. It makes sense. And what happens when you're both like stuck? Like you're hammering it away and you're just like, fuck this. Like we're done. <laughs> I call that act four of gods and monsters. <laughs> it was literally like one of, it was the only time we've ever had that happen. And I've ever had it happen in critique partnering where I think it was midnight she had to write this act in about a few days time. We had no time to finish the entire book. So she was working 12 hour days. I was with her like on our voice messaging app the whole time, like exchanging messages back and forth. And I remember the message that I got that was like, it was just my breaking point, my mental breaking point. She was like, all right, Lou needs to do magic. And Lou had needed to do magic eight times before I got this message. I got eight Lou needs to do magic. What do we make her do messages in like an hour? And Shelby's magic system is so wonderful. Everyone praises her for it. Wow, so unique, so creative, so smart. It is the worst thing to work with in the entire world. And she would look you in the eyes and tell you the same thing. What a mistake to be so smart. All right, second guess yourself next time you're trying to be that smart. Because we had to come up with sacrifices and magical things that Lou could do in the final battle that were still really cool and they had to be the coolest because it was the very end of the book. And I got the eighth one. She was like, all right, she needs to do like one final really, really epic thing, the most epic thing. And I was like, I can't talk to you anymore. Like I, I need a good five minutes to myself. And I wasn't I'm never mean, but I do remember being like, I don't know. <laughs> like, just, I don't know, Shelby. And I think that was when she realized that I also wasn't having a good time, which is why she constantly makes fun of me for it, because it's the only time I've ever been. And so genuinely what we did was she wrote in the draft that she turned into a professional editor, insert cool magic here. And then she commented on it and said, if any, any of you have any suggestions, I would love to hear it. And they came back, they had no suggestions. <laughs> and so I got another message saying, all right, what magic does she do? And I know we came up with it then because time had passed and we were unstuck and we weren't in the mud anymore. But until that point, we had no clue. Her editor had no clue, like no one had any clue. We were all just like, yeah, cool magic would be great. Can someone come up with that? So time heals all wounds here. <laughs> exactly. So I think if you get really, really stuck as a CP and your other person is really, really stuck, just leave it. 
there's no reason to poke at it because you're going to come up with really, really bad suggestions. And I know that because I came up with really, really bad suggestions. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing that, like, I followed Shelby like really closely to Gods and Monsters coming out. And I remember all of those stories, like another day work until 4 a.m. <laughs> it's so true. I remember during Blood and Honey, she didn't know I did this because this was the first time we really worked close, close, closely together on her second draft of Blood and Honey. And she was near the end and it was right at the end of her deadline. She probably had a few days to pull it all together again. And I would stay up until three or four in the morning with my phone on the ringer as loud as possible. My partner in bed next to me trying to sleep and just hearing the bloop bloop of the of our voice messaging app, just bloop bloop, like every five minutes. And she just assumed that I was staying awake because I was just awake. But no, in reality, I had so much anxiety about her finishing on time and and getting it done and liking it and loving it that I was like, no, I will never sleep. If you're not sleeping, I'm not sleeping, which I don't recommend for every critique partnership. It's just that I have anxiety and I want my loved ones to be very, very happy. You must be like the most empathetic person alive. (laughs) (laughs) So I was just like, but you're miserable. I'm not going to go and be like, all right, have fun. Good night. I'm going to go get my eight hours. (laughs) Yeah. Like, wow, what you're doing really sucks. So bye. (laughs) You are so sweet. (laughs) I am up until 4 a.m. So like normally I can't oh ima- goodness. I can't imagine like my friends staying up with me. <laughs> Listen, if you need someone, I'm here. All right, you just let me know and I'll be there. Perfect. <laughs> Jordan, I'm doing a thing. <laughs> I feel like, what are we watching? What are we doing? What are we writing? Yes. So you are like a professional critique partner. Like you got a full website and everything, and it's very beautiful and very pink and wonderful. And you are are available for so many different services on it. Like you help like plot development and querying and editing and like, just like so much. Do you approach these different aspects differently or is it all pretty much just like you? Well, thank you so much for noticing my website. It took me (laughs) a really long time to build it because I suck at technology. (laughs) I think that with writing, because everything is kind of tied so closely together, it just It would be easy for someone to probably specialize and be like, I will only look at queries. But for me, I feel like I am just trying to get people to where they really love their stories and where they can send them out. So I'm like, I'm not going to leave you alone at any part of the process. But it is, it's very different critiquing a query from first pages. Because if I'm just starting out and I'm developing something, if I'm doing plot development, it's like you have a blank sheet of paper And I have crayons, they have crayons, and we're going to color in the best picture we can. When I'm query critiquing, or there's a synopsis, or it's the very last go around, I have a full picture. And so I'm basically like, all right, we can shade in here, or like turn the sun into a moon, or whatever's going on. It's it's really, really different, but also it's the same skill set. So it's not harder or easier for me on anything, but it does take a different sort of eye so you don't like approach them differently it just kind of like shapes itself differently in and of itself yeah I would say so I think it I think it's more different for the people sending me their stuff because it's really just how much work have they done (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> what level of artistic ability are we working with here? <laughs> I've had people come to me and be like, I have had an idea for a novel for about 20 years and I haven't done anything with it. Help me. And then I've had people come to me and be like, I've had, the, I've queried this novel. I've sent it to 50 beta readers. Like I just need to get it tightened up. Help me fix it. I've had them both and they are both equally difficult and equally easy. That's so fascinating. I would never assume that like they would be somewhat equal. Yes, I know. It's crazy. I think it's because to me, I, I love brainstorming and plot so much. I think that there are some people who would be like, I don't want to help. Shelby is not a person I think who would enjoy helping someone brainstorm because she's so meticulous with details. I'm not about details. Let's put kissing scenes in your book. Like I'm coming at it from a romantic angle every single time, unless it's a query. And then that's a really specific marketing tool almost where it's like just sell yourself that's all you're trying to do wearing sounds terrifying it is not a fun time for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> i like i'm like reaching out to like agents and all that to come on the podcast and i ended like reading through the querying sites to like find them and every time i'm looking through i'm like how do people do this <laughs> I, know. I know it's it's hard on both ends i know it's hard from an agent's perspective but talking to my friends who I have so many who are agented, so many who are published, so many who aren't agented or published, and no one has fun. Like Shelby is still traumatized from her querying experience. You know, like even if you get an agent when you are querying, it does not erase all of the horrible feelings that you have when you get rejected because everybody does. No one has ever queried and gotten zero rejection. If they have, I would love to meet them because <laughs> I don't believe they exist. I would like to meet them and I would like to read their letter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, teach me. I would like them to write my query for me. Like, what did you do? <laughs> so we mentioned that you are the critique partner of Shelby and she has written and spoke very highly that you were like very pivotal to the development of her Serpent and Dove series. And I also saw that you are a critique partner for Kristen, Kristen Dwyer, who is about to publish her first novel in, I think, March or April of 2022. So be on the lookout for that. And so like as someone who was a part of these novels on such a deep level, like how does it feel like when they like get published and like you see them on shelves? Um, I cry. <laughs> Genuinely. I'm a huge crier. And I remember when Gods and Monsters, when Shelby first got the books, not me, I, I didn't personally hold any book for the first time, but when she first got them, she FaceTimed me and she opened the box with me there and she like showed me the whole book over FaceTime and we were both just bawling because we couldn't believe that all of this work, she had done so well with it. She had put in so much effort. It was so beautiful. There was a map, which was so cool to see the map and to see like the end pages and to see the little details on it and just to be able to see the words that she worked so hard on on paper and it's the same with Kristen. Kristen has such a unique journey through the writing community and she's worked so hard to get where she is but she is an amazing writer. Like she is, I call her the voice of YA contemporaries because she is like she sets a standard and it's amazing some mistakes were made when it comes out it's going to blow up 
And when I hold that book, I'm also going to sob. A, for the effort that was put in, and B, because Kristen deserves it so, so much. That's so sweet. I was really, really sad I got denied on that galley for Kristen's book. And I was like, ah! because like the whole synopsis and how it's like being marketed and all of like the teasers, I'm just like, I like, I need this book. Like, I can't wait for it to come out and I can't wait for my pre-order to arrive. I feel like NetGalley is run by mean robots. <laughs> I feel like they just say no at random to people they know they'll hurt, they'll hurt the most. They're just yes. like, you know what? Not for you today. <laughs> and then you have to get it like on the right day. Yes. Like on like a Tuesday, they'll be like, no one gets this book. But like <laughs> two days before the book comes out, they're like, sure. If you say it now, yeah. <laughs> they're like, we're feeling nice today. This is fine. <laughs> Evie Dunmore's most recent book, um, Portrait of a Scotsman. I saw it on NetGalley like a month before it came out and I requested it and got it approved like within an hour. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I sent my friend, I was like, hey, like you love this series. You should go and try and do this too. And she's like, I've already been rejected. Yes. <laughs> <I was> like, <gasps> they knew she liked it and they were like, not for you. Yep. You get nothing. NetGalley is a heartbreaking website. <laughs> it really is it's the querying of readers yes should be their tagline (laughs) so considering like these books are very different and these authors are very different is each partnership different or is it very much like you just you kind of touched on this before but do you just throw yourself into both still or like how does that work especially working with two very different authors. Right. They are very different and they do have different strengths and weaknesses. We'll say they have weaknesses. I don't believe it yet, but (laughs) that they do. Um, My process is basically the same because I also have strengths and weaknesses. And so I'm bringing to the table basically the same thing, which is that I'm going to scream at you about your romance an annoying amount and then also point out if you have maybe plot holes or like character issues or anything like that which they never do because they're both amazing character writers I they couldn't be more talented I feel like I'm just kind of coasting off the fact that they're talented I'm like sure I help I like told I told Shelby to put a rat in her book one time and she did like yeah I'm really helpful you're welcome everyone um but I think that I do try to stay in the lines of what their visions are for their stories. Because like you said, they do write such wildly different things. Kristen is always going to break your heart and then also have that romantic tension just be so thick, the steam so thick. They call her book Sexy Sad and it's so accurate. Um, And then Shelby is just, she can write character like no other romance she really adds a dose of reality to fantasy that really grounds it and makes it feel like all of these people are your friends and you're on a journey with them and she is so good at aesthetic too and description I mean I'm just listing every writing quality (laughs) (laughs) Um, so it's like it, it, it does depend on who I'm editing for what I end up editing but I bring the same set of skills enough really fair and has working with these authors and like not just these two but like all of your clients like does it ever influence your own writing um I would say that it does influence my writing but in a way where it's like I'm not going to write a witch and witch hunter story 
but I do look at all of the qualities of all of the people I work with and they all have stuff that I admire. Some are really strong at description. Some are really strong at romance. Some are really great at pacing or plot ideas and all these things that really inspire me. And I like to study how they do it. And then I'm like, maybe I could do this myself one day. So they do influence me because it's basically, I'm like, I want to be like you. And how do I do that? I love that. I really love that. I feel like it's like, like a masterclass essentially. Yeah, it is. And really, I mean, I don't want to be like, it's so beneficial for me. I do no work at all, (laughs) but truly I do get a lot out of it. I mean, like that's the whole like purpose of this, I guess, is like you get something out of it as well versus like these authors also obviously get something out of it. Yes. The purpose of the partnership of this. (laughs) (laughs) Hence the partner and critique partner. Do you feel like you critique things differently when it's like a first in the series versus a third in the series versus like a standalone? I feel like I critique differently depending on where people are in their own writing journeys, but not necessarily where their books come. I mean, Gods and Monsters was different to critique from the thing that Shelby's working on now because Shelby is now developing new characters, new ideas, new settings. And so there's a lot more brainstorming that goes into it. Then with a third in the series, every all the rules are set. The sandbox is full. Like you, you could play in it a little bit, but all of the pieces are there. So I think it is different that way, but it's mainly just different. And Shelby has written so many books now and she has editors, agents, all of these people who will read it. So I don't need to be as meticulous. I don't need to go through and be like, there's a typo. There's a a repetitive word. I know people are going to catch it. Whereas some of my clients who aren't agented yet or published yet, and I know that they're going to be in the query trenches, we want to make that book as perfect and sparkling as possible. So there's a little more work that goes into it on that end. Interesting. Okay. That's so fascinating to me. And again, querying, just like such a heartbreaking thing. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a favorite aspect of being a critique partner? Like, do you gravitate more towards like or character development over like plot development and like really like love that? I love romance. No, that sounds really silly to say, but I feel like I can find any scene or I can read any scene and find a way to put romance in it, even if it should not be there. I also am really good at the stupid moments, I think, that make a book more fun. And again, they're completely stupid, but like we had a scene, I'll talk about the rat scene and Gods and Monsters, no spoilers, but Reed and Lou find the stale sticky bun and they fight over it and there's a rat on it but they're still gonna eat it and like it's completely ridiculous but I did contribute to that scene and I think it's the small scenes like that though that are the heart of the story where we do get to see the characters having fun or bantering amidst all of the terrible things they're going through the scenes where oh my gosh two characters are pressed up against each other and they have to hide and like it's tense and romantic and all of that I love that but I'm also pretty good at plot um 
I'm good at plot. It's not like I'm sitting here like, I, I want to plot. I like plotting because it means I get to talk about romance some more <laughs> and making fake people kiss. <laughs> it is a means to an end. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, sure, let's plot your whole novel, but half of this discussion is going to be who's the love interest and how do we get to them kissing or further? How spicy is this book? And how can we make it spicier? <laughs> How can you push the bounds? Exactly. Really funny because both Shelby and Kristen are like YA authors. Yeah. <laughs> With like very strict rules. <laughs> I absolutely am. I think Shelby would also say this 90% the reason why one of the scenes in Gods and Monsters is there. And if you're questioning if I'm talking about that scene, I am indeed talking about that scene. You are very welcome. <laughs> thank god why <laughs> <laughs> has like the strictest of rules and it just kind of cracks me up <laughs> it really does yeah it's it's funny i could talk about it all day but we are talking about teenagers who actively do do things i don't mean to like break anyone's break anyone's hearts or blow their minds or anything but teenagers do have sex and they like watch Game of Thrones. If you can watch Game of Thrones, like you can read like a lightly spicy YA novel, I promise. Exactly. <laughs> you can watch any PG-13 movie where there's so, like a bra on screen and heavy touching. I mean, is your mind more quote unquote dangerous than that? Is there, what are you going to do with this knowledge of two people rubbing up against each other? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Oh my gosh. In one of my episodes, it's like focused on young adult. And I mentioned how I'm a part of like Jennifer Armantrout's Facebook groups and someone posted in it being like, YA, like new YA has like a very solid aspect of inclusion and romance. And it teaches a lot of boundaries and like right now authors are really embracing like showing the full spectrum of love and showing healthy love and showing that you don't need to accept what's just given to you. You should accept what's healthy for you. And I love that. And this person was like, we should be making kids read this in schools, like in high school, like upper levels of high school to teach them that like how to set boundaries, especially since they don't get this type of education at home all the time. And someone got so mad. (laughs) at at facts (laughs) like it was so funny to watch play out being like I like monitor all the things my kids read and like I like we're I don't introduce these topics and it's like this is why we should introduce it in school (laughs) no offense I'm not going to speak for every child because sexuality is a huge spectrum and anyone can fall anywhere on it but like I was making my Barbies kiss when I was little and I'm pretty sure my dad monitored everything I did, but I was still making my Barbies kiss at the end of the day. Exactly. (laughs) But back to this, that was a fun segue into YA. Fun topic. (laughs) Because I also like very much like love the romance, love to bring it in, love to read more of it, like always wish it was. Like when I first read Serpent Dove, it was sold to me as a spicy novel. And like, as someone who like reads like adult romance and like dark romance, I was like, this isn't 
like I wish there was more <laughs> but it's YA and like there's so much rules and it was like a first book of YA like it can't be but it was just like really funny like how it was sold to me <laughs> yeah, I think that true YA readers were like we've never seen anything like this before yeah. a true way because because we have Sarah J Mass, but her books were technically new adult and sold as new adult and Throne of Glass kind of it didn't start that way. No, it evolved. Serpent and Dove was really one of the first books to really go there. And yeah. I think the YA readership who hadn't gone out of their bounds yet were like, whoa, whoa, mind blowing. But then there was another readership of like indie books and new adult and dark romance and all those things like you like, that's kind of like me where it was like, okay, but more now. Now <laughs> <laughs> take it further. Which, I mean... Which is how we got Gods and Monsters. <laughs> I think Shelby's doing a wonderful job balancing exactly what teens should be allowed to read with things that we all want to read. Mm-hmm. Why is such a fascinating thing? Like, to be a YA author, man, that's, like, such a... <laughs> it's so impressed with everyone who can do it. <laughs> I think that she really just writes what she loves, though. And I never think, she'll never look at any of her books and be like, I wish I'd put more steam in there. I wish I'd put more spice. She's doing everything exactly the way she wants to, which is really smart because at the end of the day, that's all you can do as a writer. I think you feel that. Like in those books, you very much feel like she like threw herself into that. And like, it was everything she wanted to read herself. Like, I think that's why, like, I feel so tangible. So like- Yeah, I think when I first read Serpent and Dove, I had that giddy adrenaline rush of like, I can't stop reading this. I Mm -hmm. love this. This It's the best thing I've ever read in my whole life. Why didn't I read this sooner? And I think that's because she writes it in that way to her. It's also an adrenaline rush to her. Like this is everything she wants to write. I think that's why all of her books are so incredible. Mm -hmm. But back to you. (laughs) Stop selling Shelby's books. Everybody's like, we get it. She knows Shelby, we get it. <laughs> uh, but like, like you are critique partners and we are talking about critiquing. So like, you gotta know, talk about what you know. <laughs> <laughs> I truly feel like, like what you said earlier that like these books have to be your own. Like a critique partner can be helpful but it has to be your own voice showing through. And like we just said about Shelby's, like very much is her voice and you feel that when you're reading it. And I think that that just kind of shows how great of a critique partner you are as well, helping like elevate that and bringing that out. Thank you (laughs) so much. so nice. What do you think is the most important thing for an author to keep in mind about critiquing and about uh, not critiquing, querying? We're talking about querying. (laughs) Fun. Great. Do you think is the most important thing for an author to keep in mind when querying? <laughs> go back to talking about smut. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, I think when people are querying, you have to know that it's going to stink. It's going to suck. It's going to be probably the worst experience of your life because you worked so hard, so incredibly hard on something. And a secret that nobody talks about, because we're not really supposed to talk about it, is that it is all random and subjective. You could have the best book in the universe and you might not get an agent because it's not the right time. You didn't query the right person because the right person's on maternity leave or the right person is closed right now. 
there are so, so many reasons why a great book might not get agented. And I think that the longer I've been in this industry, the more I've kind of seen behind the curtain of Oz and it's just a man, there's no wizard behind there. And I know that sounds really disheartening, but I actually think, I hope that it makes it a little better to know that you can still trust yourself. You can still trust the process that you have. You don't need to try to mimic someone who's more successful or somebody who got an agent in a week or somebody who had an offer in a day because it's really just random. It's all luck and your luck will come. If you stick at it, you're going to get somewhere and it's going to be really, really hard. And I think that when you do start querying, you need to have friends on your side that you can trust a lot of chocolate or alcohol, depending on your age and your enjoyment of consumption. And you need to be prepared to watch a lot of bad movies, anything that will distract you start a new book. If that's going to distract you, you just really have to take your mind off of it. And I know that's almost impossible, but it's going to be difficult. That was so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much for me being like, it's going to be horrible. <laughs> it's like the Titanic. But worse. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe one day you'll get on a life yeah. raft. <laughs> I think that so, so much of writing is kind of this Cinderella story that sold to people like look at these overnight successes it's so look at um Bridget Kemmerer you know like what an overnight success she's been here for so long writing brilliant books and one of them hit the list recently and now it's like she's a debut again and so it is like the Cinderella story is really shiny and full of hope but I think that if you're listening to a podcast like this you've been in the industry you know that it isn't all shiny and sparkly and some you just need someone to be like, I acknowledge that it is bad here sometimes, but it is okay. And you will get where you're going. Absolutely. One of like my very first episodes was Danielle Jensen. And she was recently dropped by her traditional publisher, like mid series. And she's going to release it indie because she's been a hybrid for years. But like hearing her talk about it and being like, this industry sucks sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, luckily I have my fans and I know what I'm doing and I've done the indie route for some of my books so I can continue the series without it. But the industry sometimes sucks. The people rock, the industry sucks. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think that every single author too, it varies. The, The pain that they feel varies, the pain that we all experience, it's all different. But I know incredibly successful authors who have really, really bad days. I know writers who are unagented, myself, who have really, really bad days. And I think that the thing to remember is that we aren't here for the industry. We're not here because our dream when we were little was to get a literary agent. I mean, maybe that's some people's dreams, but usually it's that we want to write books and we want people to read the books that we write. And so I think if you keep that in mind and you keep working on that path, you will find yourself there. All the other stuff doesn't matter. It, it matters in the, your pain is valid from the other stuff. But at the end of the day, you're writing because you're a writer and because you have to, and because this is your goal and your destiny and your fate. And so you're going to keep doing it. And that's a command. <laughs> Got to keep at it. Yes. I love that. And I love that that just like answered the next question, which was like, what are some major lessons you've learned? Like stick at it is the lesson. <laughs> it, 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 
it's gonna be really hard and you need to keep going because you owe it to yourself and it doesn't matter if your best friend is like you need to keep writing you're so good at writing if that's not in you yourself it's gonna be really hard for you to keep going this was beautiful thank you so much we can talk about smuts more if you want (laughs) (laughs) cool what have you been reading Wait, this is a real question. I can't ask this yet. Okay. Okay. Circle back. It's a real question. (laughs) What is the most surprising thing you've learned about the industry being in it? I think that when I first started out and I wasn't part of the community because I've been here for so long now, or it feels like a really long, seven years isn't that long to be inside the community, but I've been writing for almost 10 years now. And I used to think that it was shiny and sparkly and I used to think that everything had a rhyme or reason and that there was like a rule book and if your book hit this and this and this and this and you had checked off all the check marks on the list then it was just automatic somebody would just want your book and tell you it was amazing and I think finding that out was like a big surprise because I kept working and I kept pushing and I kept critiquing and I kept getting critiqued and all of these things I was doing everything right And I still wasn't getting where I wanted to go. And then I realized that not all of life is like a grade book or like math. Like not everything has a right answer or correct answer or one answer even. So I think it was just realizing that my Virgo moon cannot be in control all the time and that there is no control here. (laughs) Everything is up in the air always. Yes, absolutely. Everything is always up in the air. It's yeah. freaking the most frustrating thing ever. Also, everything is so slow. Like oh, publishing, yeah, I can see that. Publishing is so, I mean, you get a book deal and your book doesn't come out for two or three years. And so you're, at that point, you've probably already worked for a couple of years because getting a literary agent querying takes a really long time. And then going on sub takes a really long time. Then you sell your book and you're excited. You tell your family, they're like, when is it coming out? And you're like, 2026. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Which is like, honestly, like a really interesting reason why people push for like to go towards indie. Like I know Scarlett Sinclair really struggled with and she switched over to source books or I guess it's bloom books which is an imprint and she was like I was like ready to release this months ago like I was not prepared for the timeline because being an indie publisher before being an indie author before that like I could just publish whenever I wanted to like I just like picked a day but having to adhere to a timeline for a more traditional publisher is like a weird switch it is. I think that it's it's a little bit like I'm a big Swifty. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. Um, when she is going through an era, like when we had the 1989 era, she had written all those songs during the Red era. Like we're not actually experiencing any of the music as she's writing them, which I think is a benefit of indie and self pub. It's when the author is excited and we're sharing that excitement, and it's all happening at once to everyone. We're all involved. And then in publishing, it's actually really difficult, I think, for authors to promote sometimes because they wrote that book two years ago or a year ago, and now they're working on three other things and they've got different projects and different characters. And 
I do think that is a tough balance. And I do like that point that she made. So you are first and foremost, a writer yourself. Have you ever considered going the indie route? So a a little secret about me that nobody knows is that I used to be an indie author. (laughs) Really? Yeah, I used to write romance books, um, new adult when I was very like first starting out they were the first books I wrote which is why I don't promote it because I'm like those books are trash please no one read them (laughs) they are not indicative of what I'm writing now at all like in any way shape or form but I did I started indie because those were the books that I was reading and I was loving because they pushed the boundaries and I liked smut and I liked steam and it was the time of like Jennifer L. Armentrout's her college series did you ever read those? Oh, was that like the White Hot Kiss one? No, I think it was like, I don't know what it's called. Wait, I'm going to look it up because it's going to bother me. I'm going to say the wrong name. <laughs> I'm like, I respect you too much to do that. <laughs> wait for you. Oh, yeah. So it was her Wait for You series. And I was like, these are so good. I love these books but a lot of them are really tragic and really sad. And so I just wanted to write one that was happy. And at that point, I didn't realize that that was just called a rom-com. So (laughs) I have done the indie route. Um, I think that it's really beneficial to a lot of people, but I think for me now, I've been trying to get traditionally published for so long that I'm like, I'm not leaving. I refuse. Like I will, I will be here. Agents, when you turn around, I will still be standing here. Don't you worry. (laughs) standing my ground (laughs) (laughs) how do you balance critiquing and writing your own books so before this year I didn't critique professionally so it was a little easier because I wasn't balancing that much this year has been really difficult and I finally found a routine where I will usually critique a chapter two or three for my clients in the morning right when I wake up then I will eat breakfast if I get to eat breakfast. And then I will sit down, write my own stuff, try to get through a scene. And then usually my kid will come home from school and it'll be family time. And then at night, I'll either do another chapter or two for my clients, depending on how much I have at the time, or I'll try to do another scene for myself. But usually I have to do two different client periods and then I get a little chunk in the middle to work on my own stuff. Is that, do you find the two different client periods helpful when you have multiple clients? Like you can do like one in the morning and one at night. I'm actually really good at balancing different works. And I don't know why, because I can't balance different projects for my own writing. Like I need to be focusing on one thing at a time, but for other people I can open, I have a client working on a sapphic witch book. That's really, really good. And so I can open up her stuff, really get in there, really work on it. And then I can open up a different client Right now I'm working on another one, which is an epic, epic fantasy. It's very, very cool. I don't think I could talk too much about it, but um, I can go right into hers and then I'm immersed again. I think because I started out as a big reader and a fangirl first, I think that's really how I got started in critique partnering. It's just that I love books so much. And so it's like, cool. Yeah, I'll read three different books today. That sounds fantastic. Thank you. That is actually the dream. (laughs) Thanks guys for letting me trick you all thinking I'm helpful so that I can do this all day. 
<laughs> That's amazing. What is the best piece of critique you've received from your partners? Um, so the last thing I worked on, Shelby had read it three or four times at that point. I feel so bad for her. She, I was working on a Swan Lake ad, um, adaptation and she had read it so many times. And the last time she went through, she was like, so when you get to like really important scenes, you kind of rush through them and there's no emotion whatsoever. And I'm somebody who really internalizes every critique I get. And I'm like, so the next project I work on, it's going to be emotion centered. So I can prove to you that I can in fact handle emotion. So I think that for me, the best critiques I've ever received are always the last ones I received because I work really hard to fix everything about the critique I received for all of my future projects. I mean, like, isn't that like the best like outcome <laughs> of yeah. having a critique partner? <laughs> I mean, I, I remember I was internalizing them so hard that I had a personal rejection and an agent was like, there's no timeline happenings. The next book I wrote, I was like, here's the timeline. We have a ticking clock. And then an agent gave me feedback. And she was like, this is a little too niche for me. And so I was like, the next book I write is going to be the most commercial applicable book to everyone ever. And so I've gotten to a place now where I don't internalize from agents too much because I have Shelby, I have Kristen, I have trusted people who read for me. Um, but when they give me critiques, I'm like, okay, this, I need to fix this. Fair. Very fair and very interesting. And on that vein, what are you currently write, writing and working on? And if you want, if you're comfortable, like no pressure. <laughs> I, there is absolutely no pressure because I'm not currently writing or working on anything. I was having, <laughs> I was having a lot of problems um, going back to writing after my last time querying. It was a really, really close to my heart project. It was the Swan Lake book. It was very public. So many people had kind of hands, hands in the pot. Is that the phrase? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was like, I was letting down more than just myself. I was letting down like thousands of people who were cheering me on. And so it was like, I couldn't start a new project because I was so sad, mm. but I kept forcing myself to try to. So I started about seven different projects and I couldn't get past the first few chapters in any of them. And then Shelby had to sit me down and basically be like, if you need a break, take a break. And so I think that I really, really listened to that. And so now I'm giving myself until the end of January and I'm just really gonna let myself enjoy reading and enjoy watching things again and try to there hasn't been a lot of reading for fun since I started critique partnering in my critique services because if I'm reading three books a day already I can't really fit in a fourth that I just want to buy on my phone or my kindle or anything like that mm -hmm. yeah I was gonna say like when does it when does reading become less fun for you since you are touching all of these other books I think that, like I said, it's really hard to just pick up a book for fun. It's really hard to get immersed because I can't turn off my critiquing brain. Mm -hmm. So I'm not being paid for it. Like when I pick up a random romance, that author that I bought their book isn't paying me to read it or to fix it. But in my brain, I can't turn it off. So I'll be like, mm -hmm. what if we did this? And it's like, <laughs> no, we can't. it's published. You're holding it in your hands. So I think that it becomes less fun when I actively try to do it for fun. 
because mm-hmm. I, I haven't found that balance yet to be able to be like, all right, I'm turning this off. And I think the only one that I have that I wasn't paid to read or worked with the author in any way was Once Upon a Broken Heart because I read through the entire Caraval series right before it. And I was like, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to do something for myself again. And so I read the whole Caraval series and then Once Upon a Broken Heart, which can be read separately. It's not part of the series in any way. And I had an absolute blast reading it. And then I finished and I was like, I tried to do it again and I couldn't do it again. I feel that. (laughs) When it becomes work, it's really hard to figure out how to make work your hobby again. Yes. Yes. I very much feel that. Like I just, like, I just get like arcs and then it becomes like, oh, this is now a job. I had now I'm supposed to review this. And then it makes me want to read it less. (laughs) Especially when you get arcs, because you kind of feel, it's not that you're, you feel indebted to anyone, but you're like, I have been given an arc. Not a lot of people have arcs. I have to read this. And that's hardcore work. That's not even work. That's like, and then it piles up and you're like, this is my job. I have to do it. I have to do it. I love it. I love it. But sometimes that makes it worse. Yes. 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 <laughs> very much so. <laughs> but this pretty much wraps up all of my questions because we've hit everything else very organically in the best kind of way. Yay. So my closing question, and my, this is my question to all my guests is what books are you currently binging? And we've already covered that you aren't really reading right now. Or I guess you are because you're not writing. Yes. Okay. I'm not binging any books right now, but I'm binging something book adjacent. And it is my new mission in life to tell everyone about it. If you've been on my Instagram in the last couple of weeks, this is December, like you'll have seen it, but there is something called passion flicks. Yes. (laughs) Allow me to preach you about... Passion Flicks, which is a Netflix for romance and erotica books being turned into movies. Okay. And you can get a subscription for free for like a week or something and just try it out. But I, Shelby and I subscribed to this. I don't know why. (laughs) Six months ago. We never watched anything on it. I don't know why she made me subscribe to it. I'm blaming her. It was her fault. But I never canceled it because I'm really bad about canceling things when I subscribe to them. So I sat down and I found it had a Christmas movie on it. And I've been watching like the Christmas romances, like usual. And I started it. My kid was playing outside. I was watching it in the living room. And all of a sudden, bam, people start doing it in the middle of this like Hallmark Christmas movie. And I was like, what am I watching? Where did I find this? And I realized it was on Passion Flicks. And then I realized there was more than just the one time. And I was lulled. Because I was like, oh, they're going to, are they going to, no, surely yeah, this is a Christmas movie. Like, is anyone watching me? I have like big, big windows. People could probably see me watching this if they were in my yard, like all of these small children who were outside. And then it happened again and again. And I was like, but I like this. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> And then I went and I looked through their library and they have like all of these, I really think they're kind of like the, the stars of like the 2010 indie romance kind of genre of books. They have Hollywood Dirt, which I watched. Yeah. Incredible. (laughs) Is the acting good? Not particularly. Is it filmed in a really expensive way? No. Is it quality? Absolutely not. 
However, when they adapt their books, they follow them almost to the word. It is insane. It's have like- you have you read Wicked? I think it is by Jennifer Armentrout. Like that's on Passion Flicks. Yes. <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet because the the effects for it are not. They don't. They definitely look like if Hallmark made a fantasy movie. Which uh, there's, I will get there. I promise you that you'll see it on my Instagram. But I watched Hollywood Dirt. I made my partner sit through Gabriel's Inferno, <laughs> and he was like, "What are we watching? What is this?" Because when I say they adapt it like a book, I mean every pause. It's characters talking in rooms. They're not tightening anything at all for pacing. Gabriel's Inferno, Inferno is one book. It's three parts, and each part is two hours in the movie for one book. That's a six-hour movie. Is it fantastic? Quality-wise, no. But is it the best time I've ever had in my life watching these things? Yes. Am I going to make everyone I know watch it, including you? Yes, absolutely. Oh, my God. I can't wait to subscribe to Fashion Flicks after this. (laughs) Do they give out, like, little coupons? Can I be like, all right, here we go, 20% off. See if you get a code. (laughs) Okay, what I will say though is that the tension and the way they film their steamy scenes really feels like it's through a women's lens or woman's lens. Like it's not the male gaze at all. And so all the tension feels really great. And then you're like, wait, I'm watching a movie that is, I mean, not great quality, (laughs) but is the tension excellent? Yes. Is the steaminess excellent? Yes. Should you watch it with your parents in the room? No. (laughs) I mean, you do you. We don't judge. (laughs) I'm sure some mothers and fathers would appreciate it, but I would personally not put it on with my dad. (laughs) Who are some of your favorite authors? (laughs) In no segue. In no segue for this. It's perfect. <laughs> Edit out any crap talk. Nothing helpful. I want to only, I want this podcast to be full smut all the time. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to deep dive. The whole episode is just going to be us talking about passion flicks. <laughs> yeah, we'll come back. We'll do another one. It'll be live. We'll watch every single passion flicks movie. <laughs> <laughs> just just going to be Jordan and I on like Instagram live together. Like <laughs> <laughs> more butts. <laughs> That'll be the brand. <laughs> yes <laughs> um I think my favorite authors okay professional you can't say Shelby <laughs> yeah that's always my answer I'm like but I love Shelby and Kristen um Stephanie Garber she is so romantic and whimsical and fairy tale with her writing and her plots are always so good and she has all of the best tropes somehow she weaves like 40 tropes into one book it is amazing (laughs) caraval series once upon a broken heart i mean if you haven't read the caraval series just read once upon a broken heart just dive right in it's got vampire stuff in it so i mean like everybody likes that and it's so well done (laughs) (laughs) and then i love um sarah j mass will read anything that she comes out with I love Madeline Miller. I really, really like Taylor Jenkins Reid, Casey McQuinton. Um, as you can see, there's a pattern. <laughs> um, Madeline I, Miller did a song of Achilles, right? Okay. Yeah. 
that and Cersei. So she, <laughs> I'm really eclectic taste. <laughs> um, half of these are like really sweaty and then half of them are like professional sounding. <laughs> yeah. That the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo, I believe is Taylor Jenkins read. Mm-hmm. Um, Red, white, and royal blue is Casey's book, which is excellent. And just rom-com, like gold standard. Uh, oh, Emily Henry. She is so great at rom-com. She did Beach Read and People We Meet on Vacation, which I like heavily pushed on my Instagram. I was like, can anyone read this, please? It's so good. Um, and then I'm reading Beasts of Prey by Ayana Gray right now is like the first thing on my list because she, I met her at Yale Fest and she's just a ray of sunshine. She is beautiful and fun and like effervescent and her book is I've heard it's so good at world building, which is like one of my weak spots. So I'm like, sure. Yes, please. Um, It was one of the items included in one of my fairy loot boxes. And I was like, this should have been just the book. (laughs) Oh my God. It was like, like a two book month. And I was like, this is amazing. So now it's like on my shelf staring at me, like, read me, read me. We should read it together then. (laughs) Should In, in January because I'm across the country from it right now. Well, this has been lovely. I feel like we've gotten off track and now I'm just chatting with you because I want to be friends with you. So <laughs> our friends now, I don't know what you mean. We've bonded over passion flicks. There's no going back anymore. Thank God. I know. I, I feel like we follow each other on Instagram. I'm obsessed. Yeah, I like, I feel like we've just been talking on Zoom or like on a web chat FaceTime. I feel like that was like the, the last like at least 20 minutes has been that and I love it. And despite the fact that some of it's going to get cut out, like I'm keeping to most of it. <laughs> Literally, it wouldn't offend me if everything was cut out. I had really, I had so much fun. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Thank you Uh, for having me. I can't wait for you to publish traditionally and then come on to chat all about your new book. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You were my first podcast ever. So you'll have to be the first one (laughs) when that happens. I'm loving this. I'm claiming it. If you want a beta reader, I got you. this has been jordan gray i'm so glad you could hear us talk about all things critique partners and as an added bonus some fun facts about the serpent and dove series i had a blast talking to jordan and i definitely downloaded passion flicks immediately after this chat you can find jordan on instagram at author jordan gray that's gray with an a and you can find her pricing for being your critique partner at authorjordangray.com. She's incredibly versatile, and as you can see from this episode, an amazing person. So if you're in the market for someone to look at your project, she's definitely the one to go to. This has been a Bookshelf Binge. I'm your host, Jessica. You can follow me on Instagram and TikTok and really all the socials at Bookshelf Binge. If you listen to this whole episode and haven't read the Serpent and Dove trilogy, you can do that via the link in the description to the bookshop.org storefront. Be sure to check out the Etsy store to see all of the new merch I've added. And please keep tagging me when you wear it. I'm obsessed with those photos and it just warms my heart. Please rate the show on your preferred listening platform. Those analytics really help the show get pushed to new listeners. So rating the show is incredibly helpful. As always, you can join the Patreon 
to get these episodes early and ad-free and to get access to my Dark Romance miniseries launching soon. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week where I chat all things Savage Lands with author Stacey Marie Brown.